Hi, my name is David Elstein, and this is the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. Each episode is designed to help busy orthopedic surgeons learn more about the ABUS and board certification. On this episode, we talk with Dr. James Kang, the new president of the ABUS's board of directors. In addition to his role with the ABUS, Dr. Kang is a busy spine surgeon in the Boston area. Hi, Dr. Kang. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, David. So congratulations on being elected ABUS president. The presidency is a one-year term. Can you tell our listeners about your vision for the ABUS and your goals as president? Sure. Well, first of all, it's a great honor to be president of this very illustrious group of individuals. So I'm flattered and honored uh, to be president. Um, I've given some thought of what I would like to work on from a visionary standpoint. And I think we're at the intersection of machine learning and artificial intelligence overtaking our world. Um, So uh, being in the Harvard Boston community, I've heard a lot about it. And I think uh, having been a member of the ABOS for the last six and a half years or so, I do think that we need to inject artificial intelligence into our uh, work and uh, in several different ways. And I, want to do some studies on um, uh, the potential threats or potential opportunities that uh, AI uh, poses for us uh, going forward. I think moving ahead over a five-year period, over and beyond my time, AI is going to be part of our reality. And right now, uh, the ABOS, although we ruminate over it, really haven't done anything to inject this into our equation on how we do things. So I wanna get our ABOS more up to date on this knowledge of AI uh, from uh, uh, just uh, educate all of our directors, but also bringing people to educate us, to help us what our next direction should be. So my focus over this year will be towards that end to modernize and really bring AI into the picture if it's possible. going to have to be possible. We just have to figure out how to do it. So that's that will be my focus over this coming year. You're the first Asian American president of the ABUS. How does it feel to be the first? Well, first of all, I, um, I think some people know that I'm a Korean-born um, uh, individual, and I came to the U.S. as a uh, young child when I was six or so. So to be elected into this position is a great honor. And I view America as the land of opportunity. And so uh, I, first of all, think that, you know, um, it's it's a great honor to be the first Asian. Uh, but on the other hand, I might ask, well, why am I the first? Why shouldn't there have been some others beforehand? But this is a, a evolution and enlightenment. And we're going through much of these issues in our society. So I don't hold ABOS accountable for not having other Asians. In fact, I'm the first true uh, 100% Asian that has made it onto the ABOS in the 90-year career. I'm not only the first president, so uh, I could ask, why hasn't there been others? Uh, But I think we're going to be working towards that, and it's a great honor for me to represent our Asian contingency that in the orthopedic world represents, I I think, probably 5 to 10%. Uh, so uh, my sort of phenotype uh, is probably a welcome site by those contingency. 
but I don't view it that way in a singular way. But I think it is, uh, it, it, it's good for diversity. Uh, it's good to have uh, other folks uh, take charge of situations. And, and I think it's just a great honor for me personally. Uh, and I hope to continue to promote diversity in all aspects, not just Asian culture. So that's, I guess, a perfect uh, segue to my next question. You know, sort of two related. So what role should the ABUS have regarding diversity, equity, inclusion? And what has the ABUS already done to address DEI issues? Well, there's two uh, caveats to that. We have to first show the the world and our constituency, uh, our, our diplomates, that we ourselves are diverse. And within our board now, we have three African-Americans, we have three women, one Asian. Uh, so seven out of the 20 are from some diverse background. So I think we are doing our part and, and we have made it very intentional to continue to strive towards that. But more importantly, on another scale of diversity and equity, uh, we have to make sure our products that we use to certify our candidates are not biased in some way. Uh, we may have blind spots we don't know about. So I think the ABOS has been very proactive in standing up a DEI committee. It's a standing committee now that reports up to the board, um, currently held by Charles Nelson as the chair. And we're specifically studying, do we have testing questions that may be biased to some of our individuals? Do we have examiners on oral exams that may be biased for whatever reason? Uh, so we are tackling it upfront with, uh, with good intentions to make sure that we understand what we're doing and that we're doing it right. So that our diplomates with diverse backgrounds can feel safe that they're being tested appropriately without some subliminal or implicit biases. So I think we're working on that very actively. I'm very proud of what the ABOS has done thus far, and I'm sure we have more work to do. As you know, you were chair of the ABOS MOC committee previously. What are you most proud of during your time in that position? Well, I think uh, as the chair of the MOC committee, I'm very proud of our WLA product that we uh, stood up, uh, but also uh, the amount of work we did to make sure that the maintenance of certification is to the satisfaction of the majority of our diplomates. Uh, it's been a controversial topic uh, by most standards, but I think most of the orth practicing orthopedic surgeons out there uh, are happy with the product that we have developed for maintenance of certification uh, uh, in the WLA, but also we have continued with the written exam and the oral exam if they so chose choose to do so. So uh, I think the very important part of our credentialing and certifying process uh, across all of the American Board of Medical Specialties, I think orthopedic surgeons are reasonably pleased and happy with our MOC process. So I guess why is maintaining certification important? I mean, pretty much every physician agrees that initial board certification is important, but why is maintaining that important? Well, we have to fall back to our, our singular mission of the ABOS. We have to protect our profession, but also protect the public. And that is our singular mission. And if you look at 
that as uh, the uh, main goal of what we're trying to do, it's very important for us to maintain continued certification. Uh, a lot of the things happen during an individual's career, health issues, whether it's physical or mental health, legal issues. Uh, there are a variety of things that can happen. So just being certified once you're done with your residency and then for the ensuing 30, 40 years, never to be looked at again, I think is not serving the tenets of why we're here, which is protect the public. We, we want every orthopedic surgeon that is capable to continue to practice as long as they wish to practice and they're capable. But we do have to have some safeguards for our public. If I'm a patient, I will want that. And if my mother is going to see an orthopedic surgeon, I sure hope that that person is board certified and has maintained their certification. So I think it's important for the public. Well, and finally, uh, as we know, medical innovation and knowledge changes very rapidly. What I learned 20 years ago is not the same as what is currently being done. And so if a surgeon is not keeping up with the knowledge, it's probably not the best for the patient. And so uh, due to the rapid changes in the knowledge base, it's critically important for practicing orthopedic surgeons to demonstrate that they are actually keeping up with it. Great. So how do you see board certification, MOC changing over the next, let's say, two to five years? I think the basic tenets of what we're doing, which is written examination, oral examination, and our uh, maintenance of certification with a variety of different methodologies, uh, will stay the same because those are our core principles of why we try to keep the public safe. I think what will change is potentially how we deliver those products. Now, I mentioned to you uh, artificial intelligence and how that will inject itself into what we do. So uh, we could potentially have methodologies in place that will make it better for our diplomates to be tested, uh, whether questions or whether um, we review x-rays through AI, machine learning, variety of different things that we need to do. So I think the basic tenets of how we board certify people will stay the same, but how we deliver that and what new innovation technology we use, hopefully for the better, will improve how we do it. So it's less demanding on our diplomates because we all know how time consuming it is to upload your x-rays and all the things that they have to do. Whether we can facilitate that with machine learning or AI, uh, we'll have to investigate, and which is what we're going to do. Okay. Are there any misconceptions about the ABUS, MOC, board certification, anything that you would like to address? I guess the most common misconception uh, that I've heard, even when I wasn't on the board, is, oh, that ABUS, well, we respect them you know, for who they are, but, but they're a bunch of old fuddy-duddies, <laughs> if I could use that term. They're not in touch with the modern day practicing. They're a bunch of people in ivory towers uh, uh, handing down their wisdom or whatever. I, I, I would say that that is a very, it's, it's inaccurate. It's a misconception. Yes, there are people uh, that are very um, accomplished on these boards. But on the other hand, uh, it's a very dynamic board. Uh, we tackle on many uh, issues and uh, and majority of the testing, especially in the oral exam, is done by 
300 volunteers, their peers that come in and provide these uh, or deliver these examinations. So I think um, we're, we're a very dynamic board, lots of people involved. It's not just 20 people directing the show only uh, because we do uh, have uh, a lot of uh, great committees and people, staff that interact and uh, do the right thing as it was pointed out many years ago. So we are constantly trying to do the right thing for everybody. Another additional fact that some people may not know is that, uh, for instance, we just added on a new director, Dr. Greg McComas, who is a private practitioner. There's this conception that we only uh, attract uh, a chair of departments and academics, but we do try to be intentional uh, in diversity in practice. And so I do think there are people on the board currently, as well as historically, that have represented the general uh, practicing physicians out in the community. And the other maybe a minor misconception is that uh, because we're all a bunch of old fuddy-duddies that we don't, uh, we don't actively practice, but every member of the uh, ABOS are practicing orthopedic surgeons. I personally, even as president, I still operate two and a half days a week. Uh, I have a very busy spine practice. And uh, so I am on the front lines as well as everybody. So uh, I think majority of all of our, our directors are active practicing surgeons. And by the way, they also uh, actively maintain their certification. So why is it important for you, even though you're so busy, to take on the responsibilities of being on the ABUS board of directors? Yeah, sometimes I ask myself the same question, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, I think um, I was asked to join the board uh, or consider it about seven, eight years ago uh, by Charlie Saltzman. And I asked my question, asked myself that same question back then. I got so much on my plate. Why would I want to do something like this? But I must say, I think philosophically, I may not have believed it at the time, but I do think during our professional careers, no matter whether you're in private practice or in academia, uh, there's a phase in your career where giving back to your profession becomes very rewarding and something that completes the circle. Most of us in the first half of our careers were takers. We, we take knowledge from other people. We, we want income. We want practice build up. We want, we, you know, and, and during the midstream of our careers, we've become very successful. But during the second phase of your career, I think most of us surgeons, anybody uh, should have uh, some component of giving back to their profession. And I think that's true for anybody in orthopedics. Uh, and for me, giving back by serving on the board without pay, without compensation, I think it, it's a very pure form of giving back. And being uh, a member here for now seven years, it is one of the most gratifying things that I do because it has a purpose and it's very mission driven. And I don't think there's a single board director who served that regretted it over a 10 year uh, lifespan. So. Uh, it's very important to give back, and I—that's the reason I do it. And and secondly, I—I you know, I just the people that are on the board are so wonderful people. 
Uh, you get to meet some of the neatest people in the world, and uh, it's a true pleasure. So uh, although it's a lot of work, it's very, very gratifying. So I would encourage others out there to look into it if they want to serve. Thank you, Dr. Kang, for your time. For more information about ABUS, go to abus.org. If you enjoyed this episode of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you know the next episode is posted.